And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 646. Continuing our team-by-team previews for the 2024 fantasy baseball season. And we're heading to the Windy City, a team that many people know in baseball, especially in the NL Central, the Chicago Cubs. And in order to help me, you know, preview this really fun team, I've always liked them, like doing underdog drafts. I somehow get stacks to Cubs all the time. It's really funny that this works. But uh, I have somebody that likes them even more than I do, which is going to be very apparent on this show because she bleeds Cubby Blue, as she writes for them. She works at Baseball HQ pitcherlist.com a new podcast with our good friend shelly verstreit who helped with the boston red sox called fantasy feud and you can find this wonderful individual on twitter at bcb underscore sarah sarah sanchez how are we doing my friend i'm doing so well and i'm so excited for this conversation this is my first cubs preview since right before the new year and so i put together a ton of stuff for the show i'm really excited about it and if jed hoyer would get off his tush and sign cody bellinger that would be great but as of this recording he is not <laughs> yeah i'm hoping by the time this recording comes out he is a cubby like just be so much fun in that regard i don't think we have a ton of analysis we need we know how he does like it'll be a great move draft him in fantasy but um yeah he did well for you all last year let's put it that way yeah get it done jed i mean cubs con was literally like every 20 seconds the crowd breaking into cody chance and dansby swanson called for it from the stage so that's awesome that's awesome it says about all you need to hear jed so uh figure it out before we go into the fantasy aspect of this going player by player i'll ask you what were your overall thoughts on the 2023 season for the cubs Honestly, they did better than I thought they would. Um, I thought it was a 76-win team, and they managed to get up to 82-83 wins. Um, They were just one win out of making the playoffs. But I will say there were some managerial decisions there that I was really concerned about from a fan perspective in terms of their their record in one-run games before Adbert Alzali became the closer. It was just abysmal. Uh, Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini saw way too much time at first base. Every time Tucker Barnhart was in the lineup, my soul died a little bit. And so I'm not going to lie. Maybe my favorite thing Jed Hoyer has ever done was the day that Craig Council was announced as the manager of the Cubs because that was pretty savage. Like it was truly a move that I did not think Jed Hoyer had in him. And he did it. And don't get me wrong, David Ross, 2016 Cubs hero forever. But that was a good move. I think Craig Council was probably worth four or five wins for that team if, if he had been managing the bullpen differently, setting the lineup differently, just making some in-game decisions differently. And so I feel like the Cubs were on the precipice. I feel like Craig Council was a great move. And I feel like they're a worse team at this moment in at the very end of January, start of February 2024 than they were when we were talking about them at this time last year. And I would like to see Jed Hoyer fill those gaps. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. Like, uh, there's when I put the outline together, I basically copied last year's, changed the players around to make it work. And um, the pitching staff does need some work. That would be a plus. Uh, and then obviously, Cody would help a ton offensively. But the council move is a move in, I think, the right direction to kind of move forward with the team. Like you said, Ross, awesome guy, did surprise me. I wasn't like, I'm not hooked onto the Cubs beat, but I think it surprised many that that move took place and we'll see where it goes. He got paid. So now the expectations are going to be very high for council, unfortunately, but he's, he's a good manager. So we'll see how that one plays out. Let's talk fantasy now. And we'll start with Mr. Dansby Swanson, your new acquisition last year, one of your new acquisitions last year and kind of got off to a, a, like a slow start, kind of a 
less than expected to start in the end. Still 22 homers, nine uh, stolen bases, hit 244. I guess the average would be the downside for Dansby Swanson. But all in all, you know, not bad for your first trip to to Wrigley on an everyday basis. Uh, things could obviously change this year with Dansby. And you right now have since uh, over the last 12 NFBC drafts, an ADP of Dansby Swanson has 128. So what are your thoughts this year for Mr. Swanson? You know, Dansby is such an interesting player to me. First of all, I feel like he's a really safe player. Like, you know what you're getting. You're getting like a 250 to 270 batting average. You know you're getting 20 to 25 home runs. Um, Last season was a down year for him. He had a heel contusion that he was dealing with in his first year with the Cubs. And I think you really saw that on the stolen base side of things. I would not be surprised in the slightest if Dansby ran more this year. I think he's an excellent value in fantasy Right now, uh, if you run the projections, depending on the projection system that you run with on the auction calculator, you're looking at like an 11 to $13 season. And he's not really being drafted in that range, as far as I can see. I think that he will get more run in 2024 in terms of just being the team leader and being that guy. He's always going to hit low in the lineup. He's always going to be on the field. Um, the guys that kind of go before him that I am way out on and I would rather have Dansby, Ellie De La Cruz is going like, I don't know, more than 100 picks earlier. Mm-hmm. CJ Abrams, Matt McClain, Xander Bogarts. I think I would rather take the dude who has done it a bunch before and just know that I'm getting a super solid floor and maybe a little bit of upside from a guy in his second year on a big deal. Yeah, I always like the second year uh, guy. Like the first year, I expect a little turbulence. Uh, let's see how it goes. We saw it with Francisco Lindor. Things are okay there now, folks. Um, Trey Turner, even in the second half last year, things are a little better. I'm a little optimistic on him returning to his uh, overall form. We'll see. But I'm with you. There's a lot of shortstops I'm in on. A bunch you mentioned I'm not really in on right there. Uh, the, the area he's getting drafted around, like Anthony Volpe's right next to him. I'll take Swanson all day in that regard. So it could be quite a discount for Dansby, especially if the steals get back to maybe 15 or so. That could turn into a, a very strong uh, strong player uh, at shortstop for you. I want your input on this one, definitely. Nico Horner, um, amazing season. Uh, I think we could say that. Uh, the eight, the nine home runs, you know, not a big power guy to begin with, but 43 stolen bases, 98 runs scored, and hit 283. These are all great numbers that you have to pay for now with an ADP of 64. Are you interested in that kind of ADP with the lack of power? So I've done seven drafts now. I've done like three or four gladiators, a draft and hold, a couple of other things hanging out here and there. And I have zero shares of Nico Horner. And it's not because I don't like the player. You know, I had him in Tout Wars mm-hmm. last year. He is the reason that I hung in with steals in that league. And I truly believe that Nico, Nico Horner's time is now. He hits low in the lineup. He plays every day. It's He's a gold glove defender. He has a shot to hit 300. I know he's hit like 275, 280 uh, the last couple of seasons. I don't think 300 is out of range for Nico. And I think he could steal you 50 bags. And the price is so high that I find myself, I have a lot more shares of Dansby Swanson at the moment than I have of Nico Horner. And it's not because I don't love Nico. It's because the price is really, really high. And it's really high for a guy who is not going to hit you. 20 plus home runs. Like he's never going to do that. That's not his game. You'll get runs out of him because he's going to be on base when other people hit. He hits for power in the sense that he hits line drives that are doubles rather than line drives that are singles, but he's not going to get you those home runs. And 
I don't know. I don't know if the stolen bases are going to continue, especially if he had any shade of an injury. So I don't have any Nico at the moment, but I love him. Uh, I have more Dansby. And I, I was talking to our friend James Anderson about this in like November or December last year. And honestly, I'd rather take Dansby 60 picks later than invest in Nico and risk it. But that's just me. No, I have zero Nico. I guess the only place I think I have any Nico is in underdog because it's a whole different scoring format. Yeah, any uh, NFPC, any 5 by 5 Roto type stuff, I don't because I want the power at that point in the draft. It, uh, there's so many guys hitting 20 to 30 home runs right there. Makes it very difficult for me to to stomach that roster spot with Nico. Very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but like if we're going to kind of poo-poo on C.J. Abrams, which many people are, I'd rather have C.J. Abrams than Nico Horner if it comes to the power department. So if, if we're comparing those, now Dansby much later makes total sense, but Nico just needs the power, and I don't think it's going to be there. Totally agree, and and let me do a slightly different comparison because these two dudes go really close to each other. I find myself taking Matt McClain more than I take Nico because it's the same type of middle infielder, positional flexibility uh, slot, but I think Matt McClain could hit you 20, 25 home runs and steal you 25-plus bases, and I just... I love Nico Horner as a Cubs fan, but I don't think he's going to be on a lot of my fantasy teams this year. Totally fair on this one. A player I'm, I'm, it's a, I call him like an enigma at times. Ian Happ, really good ball player, <laughs> but it's like, are you going to hit for average? Are you going to hit for power? He rarely does both at the same time. Added 14 steals last year. Maybe the steals environment helped quite a bit. But at 21 homers, average down to 248. In Tout Wars, he'll be very good because his OBP skills are great. But um, ADP of 158 is not costly. So I find myself intrigued by Ian Happ quite a bit. And I heard he makes a great cup of coffee. So that's always good. He does. Connect Roasters. If you're in the Chicagoland area, check it out. Um, You know what I find myself thinking about Nico, or sorry, Ian Happ these days is uh, he is a perfectly acceptable outfielder. Mm -hmm. In this range, you find yourself with some Ian Happ. That's great for you. But He's not an exciting outfielder in this range. And I think there are some exciting outfielders who are in this range. And so I, I don't know. Ian Happ's fine. He's going to play every day. He hits low in the lineup. He'll hit you 20 to 25 home runs. He's gotten a little bit less adventurous than he used to be since uh, the days when I wrote a piece called, will the real Ian Happ please stand up? Because he kind of did like that. I'm going to strike out all the time. I'm going to hit a 500 foot home run. Like you never knew what you were getting there. He's just solid. And he goes in a range of players who are just solid. And if you need an outfielder at that spot, you could do worse. And also, if you want, he's not an upside play at this point. True. And I'm not, this is not meant to be an insult, but he strikes me more as like a Verdugo type. Like you're buying floor, you're not buying ceiling. That's a great, great point. Cause yeah, I think we've seen like the most you might get is maybe 25 home runs if everything goes well, but you could maybe get 20 and 12 and 270. Like that's not bad. That does does scream Verdugo at times. So uh, that does make a lot of sense. I could see that as a pretty nice comp. Seiya Suzuki. I know this is someone you were excited about last year, and many others were. And it was like a tale of two seasons because he was hurt early on in the season. Finished very strong. Twenty homers, six steals, two eighty five average. ADP is around one twelve. I am very much interested in Seiya this season. Oh, this is my breakout dude. And when when we were talking about Ian Happ, and I was like, yeah, he's kind of like, you know, he's just acceptable and he's kind of boring. Saya is not boring. Uh, I want Saya everywhere and any chance that I get to put him on one of my teams, I'm going to. He broke out last season at the end of the year. And if you weren't 
watching the Cubs super closely, you might have missed it, but he had like this little reset in August at the end of August or at the end of July, start of August. And after that reset, he hit 356, 414, 672, and 198 plate appearances with 11 home runs. It really looked like he had gone from not having a strategy at the plate where he like didn't know if he was sitting curveball, sitting slider, sitting fastball to just mashing everything. And I think that's the real Seiya Suzuki. I think that's the dude that the Cubs signed when they signed him from Japan. I think that's the dude we've all been waiting for. I think, I think that's the guy we saw at the very start of his MLB career in April. And then he kind of got adjusted to and couldn't adjust back. And I'm here for it. I want him on every team of mine in 2024. I think he'll be healthy. I think he'll be ready. And yeah, let's go say a. Yep. I think that's a popular chant. I'm wondering how high that ADP climbs as more uh, quote unquote serious drafts. Like the, we're not doing draft and holds and all that stuff. Like the, the real fab leagues get going. That'll be interesting. Cause um, Bloomfield is high on say I know I like say you like say so it'll be real interesting come draft day to see how all that pans out. Christopher Morell, the guy that came off the waiver wire and just hit home runs after home runs after home run. Then he went cold and then he finished pretty good. Like I was pretty satisfied in the end with what happened. 26 homers in 107 games hit 247. Like I'll take 245 from him all day long. Uh, right now his ADP is 217. I find myself looking at him as like a fourth outfielder where I need power. He's a guy I have circled. And um, tell me if I misheard this, but I heard Craig Council basically say, we want his bat in the lineup, so we're going to find a spot for him no matter where type thing. You did not mishear that. Okay. And uh, I have a couple of other quotes like that. That, that really got me excited about drafting him when Craig Council said that. <laughs> yeah, no, you did not mishear that. I mean, I took that as one of two things. Either he's going to play for the Chicago Cubs or he's going to get traded and he's going to play <laughs> somewhere else. Fair. And when I when I tweeted about that, Jeff Zimmerman actually DM'd me and he was like, you know, he could he didn't say he was going to do that in Chicago. I was like, I don't care. I just want Christopher Morrell to play. Mm -hmm. He's 24 years old. He basically skipped AAA the first time he came up to the big leagues. And yes, there's a lot of swing and miss there. Last season, he had 37 home runs across two different levels. He started at AAA, hit 11 home runs, and he hit the 26 in the bigs. But the thing that really impressed me, I did a deep dive on Christopher Morrell uh, in the offseason for Bleed Cubby Blue. And I looked at his how what he was doing against different pitches. And he really improved on off-speed stuff. He really improved on sliders. It's like he's learning. Like you can watch him learning the way pitchers are attacking him. And the the bat speed and the way that he, he hits the ball, it's violent. It's just this like power stroke that is incredible. These are not cheap home runs. Uh, maybe his defining moment in the 2023 season was the walk-off he hit against the White Sox. That was an oppo shot over right center that nobody should be able to hit and Christopher Morrell hit it out. I am 100% in on him. The thing that really got me excited beyond what Craig Council said at Cubs convention, Carter Hawkins was on the stage and he was asked about Christopher Morrell. And he said, Christopher Morrell reminded him of his time in Cleveland when they were trying to figure out what to do with a young Jose Ramirez because Jose Ramirez came up as a shortstop and he was blocked by Francisco Lindor and you just have to find a way to play him every day. And what I heard there, and, and this is no shade to David Ross, who I love. I think he's great. 2016 hero forever. But I've been trying to figure out why the Cubs seem to have Morrell in this bucket of dudes who are like utility fourth outfielder guys when he's clearly different. 
Zach McKinstry, Miles Mastroboni, Nick Madrigal. I'm like, why is Christopher Morell in that crew? I don't think it's the guys who are left. I don't think it's the front office and I don't think it's Craig Council. I think it probably was David Ross and I think Christopher Morell is going to get a lot of run in 2024. I want him on my teams. That's awesome to hear. That's really great to hear. First thing that came to mind when you said the Jose Ramirez, I just can't picture him playing shortstop. That's ridiculous. Like that's a beefy, <laughs> that's a beefy boy. Maybe he, maybe he wouldn't have got that big uh, if he played shortstop. Still, maybe there'd been a different re- re- regiment in the off season. But he, he does not scream shortstop right now. I'll tell you that much. Uh, and he's still fast as heck. Like he'd smoke me in any race. But I just laugh thinking shortstop. That's a that's like a slow pitch softball shortstop. That's that's a different kind of guy. Dude, yeah. I love Jose Ramirez. The Jose, oh, yeah. like, and not to like throw back to a a bad moment in baseball last year, but Jose Ramirez versus Tim Anderson last year, I was like, oh my, Jose yeah. Ramirez is a bad man, y'all. Do not mess with him. He's a guy you want on your side because literally, Tim didn't do it in that moment, but it was more of a you've ticked my whole team off and I'm the captain, so you're dealing with me. That's kind of how that went down. That's like old school hockey type stuff. Like you messed with this, like I'm coming to take care of business for you. Um, it was, it was, it was fun to see. I'll admit it. Uh, Mike Talkman, this is one of those that it felt like he was in a lot of big moments at times last year, leading off doing things. And then like this off season, I went and looked at his stat line, 252, eight homers, seven steals, 108 games, like nothing overwhelming, but he had like those OBP skills that everyone like, loves at a leadoff hitter, ADP of 637. So he's pretty much draft and hold only type guy right now. What are we thinking with Talkman? Cause like if they sign belly, Talkman might be the odd man out there. Um, I know with Morel, they also mentioned, like, I think he, I can't remember his Dominican or Mexican league or whatever one he was in. They're working on him at first base. So there's, there's, there's rotating options there. So what are we thinking with Talkman? Because if he plays like he did last year, playing time wise, 637 is intriguing in a draft and hold. But will he play? So Morel was actually playing in the Dominican Winter League with the Aguilas, and he played a lot of third. The Cubs might have requested him to play first because I heard the same rumor you did that they wanted him to play first and he didn't. Uh, And I say that mainly because the Cubs still don't really have a third baseman. Nick Madrigal is the dude slated into that spot on roster resource. And Christopher Morrell, one of the things people don't realize about him, he has a 99th percentile arm strength. And look, it's not accurate. It's like a Sean Dunstan arm. So I understand (laughs) why he hasn't been playing third base for the Cubs. But if I were guessing... That strikes me as another sort of like maybe David Ross just really liked the safety of Nick Madrigal there instead of the fire of Christopher Morrell there. I think the Cubs might give him a shot there. Uh, Mike Talkman, love Mike Talkman. He, I have to share a small anecdote here. So Mike Talkman wore number forty. Number forty is Wilson Contreras's number. Ooh, I am the foremost boy. Wilson Contreras <laughs> stand on the internet. Yeah. This is like this was heartbreaking to me, and I was prepared to hate Mike Talkman. I actually heard um, at a fan event that I went to over the winter, he was just kind of given that number. He didn't ask for it. He was like, hey, what number should I take? And they were like, take 40. So this was clearly the Cubs trying to like eliminate Wilson Contreras more than Mike Talkman trying to like slide into Wilson's spot or anything like that. And I, I appreciate that. But I also, before I ever knew that, I came to the conclusion that Mike Talkman had earned number 40 when he robbed Alec Burleson in July. Uh, he was maybe the most electric role player on the Cubs. And if they had made it to the postseason, it was going to be on what he did. I don't think PCA is ready. And whether they re-sign Cody Bellinger or not, which is an open conversation that you and I were talking about before the show, and who knows what's going to happen there. I don't know that 
Mike Talkman doesn't have a meaningful role, at least in the early months for the Chicago Cubs. I think that ADP is way too low. I am prepared to take Mike Talkman with my last pick in a, in a regular draft, not a draft and hold like a regular draft and just see what happens. Cause I would, I have a hunch that at least through May, he's going to play pretty much every day. And he goes through these stints where he's very useful and he'll, he'll be a leadoff type of guy because of that OBP. And I don't know. I like it. No, that's fine. That's good to know. Cause I, that was my biggest kind of holdback. The price is ridiculous. Like it's great. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, is he going to play enough to justify the price? And if so, then that is a steal. So I, I'm intrigued with you on that one. Admittedly, if they sign Cody Bellinger, like all of this could change. But I, at this yeah. moment in time, Mike Talkman looks like the opening day center fielder. I don't think it's PCA. That's good to know. Michael Bush, the free Michael Bush movement finally happened out of L.A. as he got traded to the yeah. Chicago Cubs. Now we get to see if a you know career minor leaguer, because the Dodgers had too many players, uh, can make it happen with the Cubs. The power is insane. We've seen that throughout many levels of the minor leagues. Batting average, not bad either. Right now is an ADP of 346, uh, gone as high as 262. So what are your thoughts on Michael Bush going to the Cubbies? I go back and forth on this one. So a couple of things. One, massive PCL caveat on Michael Bush. Like we, there are yeah, a ton true. of guys who have come out of the Dodgers minor league system in the recent years where it's like, oh, this guy's going to be a regular every day, whatever. And they're not. Edwin Rios with like a phone call, like, you know, I'm thinking about Zach McKinstry. There's a, there's a number of guys who sort of like, been on our radar because of their time in the PCL, and then they don't really hit in the majors. But the Cubs were willing to part with a pretty good free agent or a pretty good minor league player in uh, Jackson Ferris for Michael Bush. And I don't think that's an accident. Like, that's a really good pitcher who they thought was going to be excellent for them. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I also, I think this might have been a move to try to get, Boris's price down on Cody Bellinger. Like if you have a first base option in the system and nobody thinks that Matt Mervis is that option anymore, which kind of pains me because I, I I like Matt Mervis. We saw Matt Mervis in the Arizona Fall League. I think Matt Mervis is not viable unless he gets traded at this point. It kind of seems like the Cubs have given up on him. So I'm intrigued by Michael Bush. I worry a little bit about a couple of things. If they sign Cody Bellinger, the only way Michael Bush gets playing time is if he DHs. And right now that role is Christopher Morell's, unless they do the thing I said about putting Christopher Morell at third. I don't know how you carry Michael Bush and Christopher Morell on the same team without trading one of them. They are the same player. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Bush strikes out less. They both have plus power. They both don't really have a defensive position. It's kind of a weird situation that they put themselves in here. That doesn't mean that they can't make it work for those guys. But uh, Michael Bush sort of seemed like a hedge to me there. If they don't get Bellinger, they have a first baseman anyway. Uh, I think he is the first baseman. I don't think he's a third baseman and I'm intrigued by it. I want to see what happens in spring training. Something to watch. Yeah. Some people are very, very high on Matt Bush. Uh, I'm not there yet, but uh, like you said, we'll have to wait and see how that one pans out. Let's go behind the, ba- the 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 plate here. Jan Gomes is a guy I've always liked. If he gets regular playing time, I've talked about him last year. I write him up every year as a great catcher too. If he just plays enough, played 116 games last year, hit 10 homers, hit 267. You can get him at the end of your drafts. I'm not saying you have to do it, but you can. ADP of 350. 
Uh, I know we're going to talk about another catcher, which I'm even a bigger fan of, but they just won't unleash him yet. Uh, but Jan Gomes is technically the starter as of now. So what's your thoughts on Jan Gomes? No, I mean, he's the starter as of now. Like if you're looking uh, at the back end of who's my second catcher or third catcher in a draft and hold going to be or whatever, and you're trying to choose between Jan Gomes and Miguel Amaya, Jan Gomes should go ahead of Miguel Amaya every time. And also... Jan Gomes is 90 million years old. I mean, I think he's actually like 36 or 37, but like that's 90 million years old in catcher years. Yes. He squats for a living. And look, I I do a little bit of yoga and stuff. Squatting for 90 minutes at a stretch sounds god awful to me. So I feel like if you do that when you're 37 years old or 36 years old and you've done it your whole life, your knees are probably trash. Like at some point, the wheels are going to fall off of Jan Gomes. I would ride the Jan Gomes train as long as I could. But I, if I had the option in, say, a draft and hold to handcuff that with like a Miguel Amaya, I would. Because I those two dudes are probably going to split playing time in like a 60-40 way that is the most obnoxious possible playing time split for fantasy baseball. This is not a situation where one of them has the starting job yet. And Miguel Amaya is the up-and-coming young guy who is probably a better hitter long-term that the Cubs want to pass the torch to. But Jan Gomes is their favorite right now, who probably has the edge because they really like how he deals with pitching. And he's a great hitter right now, but that if that fell apart in May, would either of us be surprised? No. And the biggest part you mentioned there, especially a guy like Council, um, he's going to probably cherish that behind-the-plate uh, discipline, like the way he handles the staff, which Gomes does very well, like you said. That might go a long way, especially if you have the Morels and everybody else out there hitting bombs. You don't really need your catcher to do a whole lot. Be like old school baseball. Um, not saying it's the right way, but that's kind of what we used to see back in the day. And um, I could definitely see that taking place because I love Amaya. And I'll let you have the – you kind of hit some stuff there, but I know you want to talk about him later. His ADP is like 446. Um, I was kind of banging the drum on let's make him the starter out the gate. Uh, I was on like the 65-35. You got 60-40. I'm kind of there too. It, the, the reason I really like Amaya is the hit tool, like you mentioned, and it just takes one injury, kind of what you're saying to Gomes. Now Amaya is the dude, and it's uh, it's pretty fun there. So do you have anything else to add on Amaya, or do you, you, you get, get it out there? The one thing I'll add with Miguel Amaya, and you, you nailed it, um, two, well, two things actually. One is he's an on-base percentage guy. So the average probably isn't going to impress you much. I think he hit like 212 or 214 or something like that last year. But his OBP is really solid. It was in like the 320, 330 range. And part of that is that Mikel Amaya is not afraid to lean into one and get hit. Um, he's got a lot of hit by pitches. But he gets on base a lot and getting on base is part of the name of the game. So if you're in an OBP league, Miguel Amaya is more valuable to you than if you're in an average league. Um, the thing I worry about with Miguel Amaya at the moment, he doesn't shine on a lot of the defensive catcher metrics. Not a great pitch framer, doesn't appear to have a solid, like a great pop time to second, doesn't appear to be great at catching dudes stealing. I feel like that could get exposed a little bit. I think the Cubs are really like they have him in this mentor-mentee relationship with Jan Gomes at the moment, but an injury could change that really fast. Yeah, so someone to keep an eye on, like I mentioned with the Cardinals and other Cubs or catchers things I've done, Yvonne Herrera, love him a lot. If God forbid something happened to Wilson Contreras, like Herrera is an automatic guy same goes for Miguel Amaya like these are two like the guys I'm looking for that the second an opening happens these are the ads that you need I'm actually going to go one better on the Cardinals front I have a ton of Yvonne Herrera I think Wilson Contreras will DH a ton. more 
100%. Because the Cardinals don't like his skills behind the plate, and they like Ivan Herrera's skills behind the plate. And I think you Wilson Contreras and Ivan Herrera can both play in 2024. Yeah, because I mentioned it. Uh, Kisner, who was catching there, he caught over 100 games last year. Like, if you give me Herrera at over 100, and I think I'm with you, I think Contreras DH is even more because of all the little knickknack injuries he had last year and still hit pretty well. They want to keep that bat in the lineup more. That means Herrera, I wouldn't be surprised if we get like 110 to 120 out of Herrera, and that's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Well, and Wilson has always been a better hitter when he's DH more. Like, his WRC Plus creeps into, like, the 120, 130 range when he's the DH. And he likes to catch, so he does catch because he's adequate there and he's fine and he's, like, a veteran dude at this point in time. But, like, Wilson Contreras is the dude who catches 20% of the time and DHs 80% of the time is actually a much better player for our purposes. Makes a ton of sense. Uh, the last thing I have here, I have Patrick Wisdom down here. His ADP is 530. You got Madrigal, like you mentioned, he's 635. We can just hope that Morel plays third base. We can forget about all this. But in reality, if you're in a deep draft and hold, do either of these guys hold a candle for you? I take Wisdom over Madrigal. Uh, I think that Nick Madrigal is not a viable major league player. And I, I, I understand what people wanted out of Nick Madrigal. They wanted like a high average contact tool that doesn't strike out a lot. I think that Nico Horner is that guy and Nick Madrigal doesn't hit the ball hard enough to move the outfielders back enough to get the hits that he was promising. Um, Patrick Wisdom has an elite power tool. Mm-hmm. His ISO career wise is like, up there with Hall of Famers, which is a crazy thing to look at. But I'm just not sure there's an everyday role for him on this roster. And that might mean that he gets traded somewhere else where he has an everyday role. He's a perfectly adequate third baseman. He's not bad at it or anything. The home runs are so magnificent. It's like 450 feet and and, and change, and he just he just unleashes. It's it's a it's an incredible swing. The Wizdongs are always fun to watch in Wrigley. 100% on, on board with you on that one. Let's head to the mound now. Yeah. Where the, I, I, I put the Blue Steel gif out all the time when Justin Steele was on the mound. I'm a huge Justin Steele guy. And I got a lot of flack last year because I was all in. And he helped me out there. He did very well. 173 innings, um, 306 ERA. Obviously, there's some, uh, you know, 332 XFIP even. Like, it wasn't even that crazy. Strikeouts were decent. I think that's that's great. I'll take that. ADP of 100 now this season, so the price tag is coming up, and deservedly so. Are you still in at that ADP? I'm totally in. And and here's the thing about Justin Steele, and I understand, like, our friends Nick Pollock and, you know, Saris don't agree with me on this. I understand why they don't agree. And they're the, they're the, like, pitching whisperers. So, like, you don't need to take my word on this, but here's the thing. At this point, over the last, like, one and a half seasons, so basically since... John Lester texted David Ross to say, hey, I'm watching this game and I think Steele should do some different things. This is what Justin Steele has done. 252 innings pitched, 256 strikeouts, 63 walks, a 2.75 ERA off a 3.08 FIP and a 1.19 whip. He has gone 19 and 7 in that time and the dude just shoves. I don't understand how he's doing it. Just like I don't understand how like 2016 to 2019 Kyle Hendricks did it. But I kind of don't care because he's doing it and he throws six to seven innings at every start. He gets weak contract contact. He doesn't give up a ton of runs and he just shoves every single time. And until he stops shoving at this point, I'm in. 
Now, I'm not in if he goes in like the first five rounds, but he doesn't. He's still in that range where it's like, you can get a guy who will get Cy Young votes for a reasonable ADP. Yep, SP2, SP3 if you're really aggressive, but SP2, that's pretty darn solid to me. You don't have to preach anymore to me. I'm, I'm on I'm on board with you. I, I thought his price tag would be even higher this year after what we saw last year. Because like last year, there was the group of us on him, the group against it, just because of all oh, small sample. He only did it for so long. They shut him down early, all those things. Um, and then he has backed it up this year. He just was a machine, huge fan. So we'll see where that pans out this year. But I'll find out because he'll be on my rosters. Uh, Jamison Tyon. This is the veteran guy that every team needs. That's the one thing I'll say. He'll eat up innings, not a massive strikeout guy. Ratios are a little higher than expected probably compared to usual last year. We're still not crushing. And he had some stretches where he was really solid when he came back uh, last year, like a midseason or so, which is pretty nice. ADP's 313, so he's kind of an in-game target potentially. So what's your thoughts on Tyon? I have a lot of Tyon this year because I watched him through the first half and second half of last season. And here's the thing. Jamison Tyon was not good in the first half. I had him on a bunch of teams and I dropped him as fast as I could. I actually think I dropped him and picked him up again a couple of times in Tat Wars last year. Um, in the first half, Jamison Tyon's ERA was 6.15. He was clearly working through it and he was not working through it well. And when I've heard him talk about this and I've heard some other people talk about this, it sounds like he was tinkering with his pitch mix in ways that lefties were just like teeing off against. And so then teams started stacking lefties against him and it was just off to the races, <laughs> like a bad Jamison Tyon start every other day. But in the second half, ZRA was 3.7. He went from having a 346 Woba against him in the first half to a 300 Woba against him in the second half. I think he figured it out. And going back to pitcher list for a second, Nick Pollock did a game watch with Jamison Tyon from the second half, uh, his start against the Diamondbacks, where they kind of talked through different pitches and what was going on and why he made the decisions he did and all of this stuff. And, and that game watch pushed me from kind of on the fence on Tyon to in. It's an absurdly low draft price for somebody that we were taking. God, I don't know. I don't know what his draft price was in 2022, but I bet it was like I don't. you had to pick him like 150 picks higher. Probably. This is a guy who deals. This is a guy who is going to get five to six innings with the Cubs every fifth day. I think Jamison Tyon will be back in 2024, and I think you can get him for cheap right now, and I would rather have him than any of the dudes going around him. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that one. It's one I keep looking at, and I, I think at that point in the draft, it's either you take kind of the stability that Jamison Tyon brings, and you mentioned the second half, which I, I'm, I saw a ton of uh, watching him doing DFS. It stood out like a sore thumb what he was doing there. Um it's like you take kind of the stability with the upside of Tyon, just a veteran guy that's going to go out there and, and put your innings out there, quality innings, or you could take a chance on a young pitcher basically and see where it goes. I usually don't take the chances on pitching. That's my deal, but teach their own in those scenarios. Now, this is a guy, if you like him, you'll have to take a chance. And it's kind of hoping the Giants would spend money on him. Alas, they did not. Shota Amanaga, ADP of 205, one of the next fun toys that came over from uh, – was it? Is he Japan? He's Japan, right? It's yeah, Japan, Japan. Yeah, yeah. I, I always there's so many coming from Korea and Japan now. It's just overlapping. But um, yes, he looked amazing over there. Uh, he'll get overshadowed by y Yoshida, of course. But Amanigo's just fine himself. What are your expectations as a Cub fan going forward? 
Okay, first off, if you have not seen Shota and Monica's uh, intro to Chicago, you have to go watch it. It's incredible. So for those of you who are not Cubs fans, when the Cubs win, we play Go Cubs Go. Hey, Chicago, what do you say the Cubs are going to win today? Like, that's a line in the song. And so Shota and Monica, hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. That is his. Th- those are the first words he speaks to the Cubs fan base, and it was beautiful and incredible. And I, I just love this dude. I'm very excited about it. Um, this is my second favorite thing that Jed Hoyer has ever done, uh, excluding sniping Craig Council from the Brewers, which again, just savage. And I can't believe he did it. Couple of things. The concern about Shota Imanaga, as far as I can tell, coming over was that he gave up a lot of home runs in the MPB. And part of the reason he gave up a lot of home runs is that he threw his fastball low. And by throwing his fastball low, dudes could kind of get a good launch angle on it and club it out. Uh, Lance Brzezdowski, who is an excellent pitching analyst, who you should follow on Twitter if you're not following him, but also does some work with the Cubs on Marquee Sports Network, noted that like if you move that fastball up, that home run problem probably disappears and doesn't impact his other pitches in a negative way, which is a pretty incredible observation. And I, if that's true, the one flaw that this guy has coming over doesn't exist. Uh, other things that stand out to me, Eno Saris claims that he led the WBC and stuff among yep. Japanese pitchers. That's better than Yamamoto, for the record, who got a deal that is worth like 10 times the deal that Imanaga got. Intelligent spending indeed, Jed Hoyer. Um, This deal is a really great deal if you look at what starting pitching cost in 2024. It's a four-year, $53 million a year deal that has like this tricky option in it where if Imanaga does certain things during his time with the Cubs, That becomes a five-year, $80 million deal, or he gets an opt-out. So basically, if he hits certain thresholds, the Cubs get an even better deal, or he gets to go somewhere else. And frankly, I think that's incredible. That's a a really smart contract to sign. I think he fits in really nicely as a number two to number three guy here. I don't, I still don't love that the Cubs don't seem to be chasing like the 99 below yeah. There are no Spencer Striders on the Cubs. No. <laughs> Every guy that pitches for the Cubs pitches to contact and like gets weak outs and whatever. Imanaga might be the highest strikeout dude that they have. And we don't know if that's going to play in the majors yet, but I think it will. I love him as a player. I'm exceedingly excited to have him on my teams. Yeah. Those contract notes, they sound so great, Sarah. So great. Like, why could no other team? bring Shoto Monica over like a team that wears orange and black for a living and has a great Asian culture in their backyard. Why could they not do that? It's yeah. I wanted him so bad. That was like my guy. It did not happen. So yeah. Well, can I also just say, I love this for Seiya because one of the things I've thought for Seiya Suzuki the last couple of years is it's got to be kind of lonely. 100%. You're the only person on a team who speaks a particular language and has a particular culture and you have a translator and everybody on the Cubs says they love, they love Saya. He's great. He's really funny. He's a great guy to have around, but if everything you do has to be translated, yep. it's got to feel a little lonely, right? Like I think 100%. this makes Saya Suzuki a better player too. I think that having a guy who understands your culture and your language is a big yep. deal. No, it's great for Monica because Seiya's already got the like catering taken care of, all those kind of things that make you feel at home. Because you know, um, Kim's talked about it in San Diego. He finally got comfortable 
Yoshida flat out said, I, I picked the Dodgers not only because the money, but to go with Darvish. Like, literally, he can live at Darvish's house. Darvish has, like, already it, – it goes a long way. I talk about it all the time with these players. That's why I was actually kind of surprised that Lee went to the Giants because there really wasn't anything there. And obviously, like, the culture is there, so that will help a lot. But I figured that – I figured that meant someone else was coming is what that meant. Like, this is a double whammy, but alas, it did not. Can I just add one note here uh, from the World Baseball Classic last year during the Mexico-America game, which, by the way, Mexico beat the crap out of the United States of America. And it's still one of those things that I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this. John Smoltz, who I give a lot of grief for his commentary on baseball games, because kind of he kind of strikes me as like old man yells at cloud a Big lot time. when time, he's yeah. commenting on baseball. He's good at that. He said some things in that particular game that I think were really profound. And one of the things he talked about was a Cuban teammate of his who um, would go and like just the way he attacked the buffet every day, he would always get a different combination of things and he always wanted to do something different. And sometimes it was really weird. And Smoltz was like, Hey man, what are you doing? And he finally asked his teammate about this. He's like, Oh, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I have to try everything. And he parlayed that into these guys who come over from other places. They are the one or two dudes on their team who speak the language or know the culture. Like, Venezuelans and Dominicans don't necessarily share exactly the same culture. They might share the same language, but like you have two or three guys on a team who speak Spanish. You have like one guy who's from Venezuela, one guy who's from Mexico, one guy who's from the Dominican Republic. When they play on the world baseball classic teams, they get to be in their element and they get to be with their dudes and they get to play for their thing. And I just, I think what the Cubs have done here with Amonaga and with Seiya Suzuki is they've given them like a little corner of the clubhouse where that's the that's the Japan corner of the clubhouse and they have each other and they have their translators and they get their space. And I think that's really powerful and I'm excited to see how it plays out. It's a great way to do it. I think we're going to see a lot more of that going forward. We're going to have to because a lot of great talent is out there these days, yeah. not in America. So it's going to be a lot more coming to make that happen. Kyle Hendricks, like honestly, I thought he had retired by now uh, when I was <laughs> doing this because – like great guy, and he's only thirty four, which surprised me as well. Because the professor just kind of seems like he's been doing it forever. Two thousand fourteen, this will be his eleventh season in baseball. One hundred thirty seven innings, three seven four ERA, still pitched a contact specialist. Nothing crazy. ADP of four twenty seven. Are you looking at Kyle Hendricks? I am because the league average pitcher in Major League Baseball last year had a four point three three ERA, and Kyle Hendricks has always outperformed that. Um, I think we're sleeping on Kyle a bit and I get it. I think that the ball shenanigans, like changing the ball really messed with change up pitchers and Kyle Hendricks lives and dies on that change. He has a fastball that like touches 88, 89 when he's lucky. And if that's not moving right and the ball is favoring hitters, I think that's going to be really bad for Kyle Hendricks 10 times out of 10. He came back from an injury last season. He was exactly who Cubs fans expected. He overperformed his fit. He got a bunch of guys out. I mean, we have this like saying on Cubs Twitter, Kyle Hendricks, all he does is get guys out. <laughs> he still does. And I think that as the number four starter and like kind of the senior statesman on this Cubs team, he has a little bit of breathing room, right? Like he doesn't, nobody expects him to go out and throw him addicts every single day. Like they did a couple of years ago. He doesn't have to be the ace. He can just kind of sit back and like let the plus defense behind him turn all of that soft contact into outs. And as long as MLB doesn't mess around with the ball again, which who knows what they're doing with, at the Rawlings plant. 
I think that Kyle Hendricks is going to go out there. He's going to give you an ERA that is lower than league average. He's going to give you a, an excellent whip. He's going to be in the game long enough to get you wins. He's not going to get you case. So you got to get your case somewhere else. But if you're in a league that has quality starts or innings pitched or anything like that, Kyle Hendricks is your dude. Yeah, that's fair. Um, they have Jordan Wicks as the fifth starter. I guess that may be a placeholder thing. Um, well, you know, we'll talk about Kate Horton and some other guys here in a bit. Do, are, do you think Wicks is the number five or is this kind of just a we're going to see situation? Because if he is, ADP is 419. I think that Jordan Wicks is the guy right now, and that could change. Um, but I think what he did at the end of last season was really impressive. Again, another change-up guy. Um, was really interesting to see Jordan Wicks out there, actually, because they let Miguel Amaya catch him. Uh, they knew each other well from the minor leagues, and so that was sort of one of the ways Miguel Amaya got into the game was catching Jordan uh, Wicks and also Kyle Hendricks because Kyle Hendricks called his own games. So those are sort of the ways that Miguel Amaya plays is like when Kyle Hendricks calls his own game or when Jordan Wicks is on the mound. Um, I don't think Wicks is, he's not the same as Kyle Hendricks. If you watch two games of theirs back to back, you'll see differences, but they are both changeup artists. They, neither of them strikes out a ton of guys. I think he can be an effective and above average major league pitcher. And I actually, the thing that I think has changed the Cubs more than anything else in the last five years Jordan Wicks penciled in as their number five starter when they have a bunch of guys behind him who could take that role. Javier Saad, Hayden Wisniewski, Keegan Thompson, Cade Horton, Ben Brown, and all of them could kind of like cycle into that fifth starter role is really interesting to me. The Cubs have gotten really good at developing back end of the rotation talent. They're not very good at developing top end of the rotation talent. So they're not like a, they're not a Cleveland Guardian system where you have like Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're not that, but they, if you're like, looking on the waiver wire in June for some guy who's going to give you five innings and a shot for a win, you could do worse than whoever the Cubs are starting that week. I had a, a not healthy amount of Javier Assad as the end of the season went along. It, it was not pleasant because there were a lot of pitch to contact. It scared the crap out of me, but uh, you got your wins. It so worked, it, right? It worked out. It, it was worked. Not pleasant. <laughs> uh, it worked out though. Like Wesneski, everyone's hoping he could be the guy. He kind of had the roller coaster. But maybe that clicks one of these days. So definitely streaming options, I would say, as things go along. Let's look at the bullpen. Adbert Alzale. Love me some Adbert. I he was one of my favorite uh, spec guys in drafted holds last year. Obviously, you can't spec anymore with Alzale. ADP of 122. What are we, our expectations there? They did sign Hector Neris after all. <laughs> Adbert's the closer. I I, I love Hector Neris. Like he's great. Like, and I he's a solid backup and he will take some load off of Alzali's arm and that's good but Alzali's the closer in my opinion as long as he doesn't get hurt coming into the season um at the end of last year they had a hype video for him with his song and people like clapping in the stands and like all the jazz you do when the dude is the closer and I just he saved 16 games in a row and the only reason that that save streak was broken is because he got brought in with the bases loaded and like a ninth inning situation to try to like unjam it like it was it was unfair like he should not have been put in that situation to have a safe streak broken I think Adbert has closer energy which sounds like this is such a totally non-statistically based thing to say but he you know the guys who are like no I'm just gonna get this out and I'm gonna like 
I'm going to pump my fist and I'm going to scream to the stands. Like Advert has that energy. He does not care. It's his job. And um, he could lose it. I don't think he's going to. I think that uh, Hector Neris is there as a backup. He'll probably get the eighth inning. It takes a little bit of pressure off of Julian Merriweather and Mark Leiter Jr. And I, I'm glad about that because Mark Leiter Jr. was playing with some like reverse splits last year that I don't think are real. Julian Merriweather, though, he's interesting. is a really interesting arm because he strikes out a ton of guys. That's why I was bummed when they signed Nerys. I was like, ah, oh, man, Merriweather was the dude just in case. Well, I think Merriweather's still a dude just in case, but it kind of might go Alzali, Nerys, Merriweather. Yeah. So we'll see. Let's just hope nothing happens to Advert and we're good. Let's just go that direction. <laughs> and they don't have to worry about these things. That's why it always feels bad. It's like the, the golden rule. We don't root for injuries here, but every show. So who's the guy just in case? <laughs> it's just like, like we got to plan accordingly for all this stuff. Damage control people. No, you got to know uh, who are your $1 guys who you're going to take in the last, in the last exactly, frame. Exactly. Let's talk some prospects now. And the Cubbies have some. That is fun. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong got called up last year, got a little cup of coffee, kind of came off the bench to run once in a while and, and played occasionally. Um, he blew through the minor league system. So I, I thought, yeah, why rush him into this? The Cubs were still contending at the time. What are we doing here? Uh, right now is ADP 351. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Because you did earlier you said you don't think he starts out with the team, but what are your kind of expectations this year? So admittedly, I'm I'm basing this on a tiny sample size. Um, in like the 19 plate appearances or whatever it was that he had with the Cubs, he didn't get a hit last year. And it looked like he was overmatched by fastballs. Now, he's really young, so I don't think that's a thing that's going to be a problem in like a year. But I do think it's a thing that he needs some more time to figure out at AAA. The glove is elite. Uh, he makes plays that I have not seen any Cub make since Reed Johnson was playing center field for them. I mean, it's it, it's just like this easy, oh, yes, I will run to the ball and I will dive and I will not hurt myself and I will catch the ball. It's it's an incredible talent in the outfield. But I don't think the bat was ready at the end of last year. I think he's going to get a shot to show if the bat is ready at, in spring training. And if he does, if Pete Crow Armstrong shows up at spring training and hits like 370 or something – he might make the team. It might bump out, bump out Mike Talkman. Like I, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But it also wouldn't surprise me if Pete Kerr Armstrong struggles a little bit in spring training, starts in AAA, and comes up later. How many times do you think uh, the team had to watch the movie Major League? Or uh, my, <laughs> what is? Well, no, no, Big League, Little Big League. Okay, so I have a really funny story about Little Big League. I I doubt they had to watch it because I think I was being sarcastic. I think he's I think there's a there's more jokes than anything on that one. Not the I don't think he has the pull power to make them watch that one. No, and um I think that was kind of one of those elements that was sort of like everybody knew it and it was kind of a funny inside yeah. joke around the stadium. So I hang out at Ballhawk Corner quite a bit at by Wrigley Field, which for those of you in the know. Ballhawk Corner is like at the corner of Kenmore and Waveland. It's the left field area where the Ballhawks try to catch home runs. Um, and we would see Pete Crow Armstrong's mom walking back to her car all the time. And she would take a selfie with you, but only if you didn't post it anywhere. <laughs> so it's like she was there every single game. It was super cute. It was amazing. But it was kind of like, well, nobody wants like we only want the selfies so we can post yeah. them. We can post it and say, look it. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh Kate Horton, one of the big time pitching prospects that's on the cusp of coming up. Right now is ADP's 421. So people are pretty optimistic they'll get an impact at some point this season. What are we thinking on Kate Horton? Dude, I 
I was so angry at the Cubs when they picked Cade Horton seventh overall in the 2022 draft. Because if you remember, that was the Magnificent Seven draft. And the idea was like, you pick one of these seven guys that everybody believes is going to be a major leaguer someday. And you don't deviate from that. And you get a guy. Cade Horton was not on the Magnificent Seven list. And the Cubs deviated. And I was kind of like, what are we doing? That they did it off of six weeks of an elite slider that has proven to maintain that eliteness through Cade Horton's time, time in the minors. And here we are with Cade Horton as a top 100 pick who, according to MLB.com, in 21 starts across three levels, he finished with a 2.65 ERA and struck out 33.5% of the batters he faced. That is stupid and sick. And he looks like he might be an elite starter for the Cubs sometime in the second half. Uh, I don't think he's going to start the team, start the year with the team. I do think he's going to come up on our waiver wires at some point this season and people are going to drop an absurd amount of fab on him. Yep. That'll be a fun time that I'll sit back and lose on. So that'll be good to know. Um, ben Brown, another uh, pitching prospect for the Cubbies, except unlike Horton, who's going around 417, Ben Brown's going at like 675. Big gap. Is the gap that big between the two? I actually wouldn't be surprised if Ben Brown came up first. So there we go. So Ben Brown is a less flashy prospect than Cade Horton. He's the dude that they got in return for, oh, I'm, uh, I think it was David Robertson. I might be wrong about this. I'm, I did not put this in my notes. No worries. No worries. Um, not David Robertson. Phil, trade with the Phillies, 2021, 2022. I'll look it up while you. Thank you. I forget yeah. who they traded, traded for him, but. Definitely an intriguing arm and a guy who not as high of a ceiling as Cade Horton, but a lower floor. And so in the event that they need somebody to fill in as a fifth starter or as a middle middle relief bullpen guy. It was for David point, Robertson. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I should have trusted you got past that. me. You got the, you, uh, <laughs> come on. You, you know these things. Trust your, trust your instincts here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, Ben Brown is a really intriguing arm. He was kind of in that same tier as Hayden Wisniewski last year, but he was a little bit younger. And I do think that he might get a shot before Kate Horton does. So um, if he gets called up again, another like number four, number five starter type dude. Yeah, I like that idea. Like in a draft and hold in six, around 675 on your last picks. Like those are the kind of guys I'll start taking chances. I'm such a safe drafter to my own, you know, harm sometimes. But that's one that could be interesting for sure. Absolutely. Um, you have a few more down here. I'm going to before I'll, we'll say the last two, but I don't know anything about Owen. Is it Cassie? Yeah, Owen Casey. Casey, and then Matt Shaw. I don't know anything about those two. What, what do we need to know about them? Owen Casey is one of the teenagers that Jed Hoyer got back when he traded you Darvish and Victor Caratini for the Padres to the Padres in exchange for what I called a pile of magic beans. Um, <laughs> Looks like most of them are, That's good. are all of them were like 17 to 19 years old. It was just this crazy trade. It was like a seven player prospect hall where they were like, we want quantity over quality in case we just like kind of want to see what happens with any of these dudes. Uh, he mashes. He's a corner outfielder. He um, had a breakout campaign with double uh, a Tennessee last year, posting a slash line of 289, 398, 519 with 22 homers and 120 games, according to MLB.com. And if anything happens to either Ian Happ or say a Suzuki, or the Cubs just need a bat. They just need a guy who can hit. I think Owen Casey might be that guy. And I would not be surprised to see him up with a big league club at some point in the second half. Well, Matt Shaw. 
Matt Shaw is the Cubs' first-round draft pick from last year, and he's been taking reps at third base. Oh, we're back to that again. Uh, the, the Cubs, I, I heard I heard the Cubs might need a third baseman. The Cubs absolutely need a third baseman because, look, no offense to Nick Madrigal, but, like, he takes five running steps to throw across the diamond, and he can't make a double those play. those little, like, corgi legs. So I can't. <laughs> and also, like, there was at least one play last year where Nick Madrigal jumped as high as he possibly could and, like, did the outstretched thing trying to catch the ball, and it went way over his glove. And I'm like, a normal-sized human catches this. And I say this as a woman who is 5'1". So no shade to Nick Madrigal at 5'4", oh. but, like, you got to be able to catch that ball. ball. You're a professional ball player. Like, we need a little little something out of you here. Like, do the Cubs get to go to Williamsport anytime soon for the Little League game? Because that could be fun. <laughs> okay, so I felt so bad about this last year. I was walking down um, Clark Street towards a game, actually, and I saw a little dude in a Nick Madrigal jersey, and I took oh, no. a picture of it. And I, like, his dad was like, oh, yeah, of course, you can post this whenever. I was like, I found a young Nick, Nick Madrigal fan. And a that's bunch of people funny. on Twitter were like, is that Nick Madrigal? Yeah. Are we is sure that that's real? not Nick Is he Madrigal? walking around in his jersey? <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't mean to do that to that kid, so I apologize. Um, no, seriously, Matt Shaw is a legitimate third base candidate. There are questions about the arm, so it's not entirely clear if he's going to be able to stick at the hot corner long term. But they need a third baseman, and if they can't come to terms with a Scott Boris on a Matt Chapman, or if Christopher Morrell does not take that position over, I think Matt Shaw is the next guy up. And he's a first-round draft pick. He's already kind of established himself in the minor leagues and he's worth keeping an eye on this season. All right, let's go to James Triantos who um, took home some hardware from the AFL. So he had a good little fall. Uh, what are we thinking about him? James Triantos has a great hit tool. He's one of these guys who like doesn't strike out a ton. He hits line drives all over the field and he's probably not going to hit for a ton of power, but he was the offensive player of the year in the Arizona Fall League, and I think he's going to get a shot as well. I don't think he's going to get a shot at third base because he doesn't seem to have that arm there either. So this, the Cubs have just a ridiculous collection of dudes who could play second. All of these, <laughs> just throw everybody at second base, right? But we saw how that worked out for the Marlins last year. You can get it done with a lot of uh, second basemen, and I think James Triantos might be one of those dudes who gets a call up. And then last but not least, uh, Kevin Alcantara, who we saw in the Home Run Derby, he gives me that uh, Nelson Velasquez vibe, and I know you'll appreciate that because I was a, we, we liked Velasquez. I was pumped when he got freed to go do his thing. What's your thoughts on Alcantara? First of all, I have a ridiculous number of shares of Nelson Velasquez this year because Fair Nelson enough. Velasquez hit 17 home runs for the Kansas City Royals at a ballpark that is not supposed to give up home runs the mm -hmm. second he was freed. And I'm just like, the Cubs couldn't use that. But I understand he's a corner outfielder. He was blocked by Happ and Saya. So I understand why he's not on the Chicago Cubs. But also, go draft Nelson Velasquez, people. What are you even doing? Um, I think Kevin O'Contra is like three dudes behind getting his Nelson Velasquez call-up. And what I mean by that is, I think that Alexander Canario gets a shot first. He already had some big league time last year. And he's exactly, he's another guy who's like the same type of player, like going to mash some home runs, going to strike out a lot, can only play a corner outfield spot. Kevin Contra might come up before Owen Casey, honestly. Uh, he's one of the guys that the Cubs got in return for Anthony Rizzo. He has he has these levers. I, I don't know how to explain this, but if you've never seen Kevin Contra in person or if you've never watched a video of him, go look it up. He is tall and lean and lanky, and his arms are just like, they're levers. They just like can power a ball out, and he does. And if the Cubs need a corner outfielder at some point in time, 
Owen Casey's not available. Alexander Canario is not available. I think Kevin Alcantara will be that dude, and he's definitely worth keeping an eye on in Keeper in Dynasty Leagues. Yep, I like that call a lot. Uh, definitely saw some fun with him in the fall league, and I already kind of knew who he was. Like, if I know who a prospect is when I go to Arizona, that means they're doing something because that's not my bag. Um, so I, I knew his name. I knew who he was. Canario, I obviously know as a giant. Kind of wish him the best. He had some bad injuries that have kind of derailed him, but you never know. Could be some fun. The Cubs, the good thing for the Cubs is they have options, which not a lot of I, – I literally – did a Pirates podcast, not a lot of options. So, like, the Cubs at least got that going for him, which is always good. Although, with the Pirates, I just got Martin Perez at, like, a post-500 pick. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't – Crazy. If you're looking in draft and holds for, like, some deep pitching, Martin yep. Perez is – he's yep. going to throw all one. the innings. <laughs> yep. They're going to throw as many innings as he physically can because they don't have – when you go on that, just go look at roster resource real quick. Not a lot of <laughs> options like, there, folks. Not a lot of options after Mitch Keller. So they need Martin Perez to throw it. I'm like, Martin Perez is going to throw until his arm falls off. Pretty and, much. Pretty yeah. much. That's what's going to happen. All right, Sarah, before we head on out of here, fun times as always. Why don't you uh, let me know what is your prediction for the Chicago Cubs in 2024? Can I do two predictions? Do as many as you want. I want to do a prediction for the Cubs with Bellinger and a prediction for the Cubs without him. Sounds good. I think the Cubs right now are a 76-win team-ish. Um, that might become 80. That might become 71. Probably on the higher side because Craig Cancel is manager above, replace, above replacement. But the team is kind of middling right now, and I don't think they've made anywhere near the number of moves they need to to keep pace with the Cardinals and the Reds, which is, I, I don't know, it's kind of devastating. The Brewers signed Reese Hoskins. Like, come on, like, go get your guy. Go get a big guy and put him in this lineup. If the Cubs sign Bellinger, which I truly think they will, because I don't think the market for Bellinger is very strong anymore. I think once the Yankees got Juan Soto, that pulled them out of the market. I think that the Blue Jays signing Kevin Kiermeyer pulled them out of that market. I think that it's kind of like Jed Hoyer and Scott Boris are in a staring competition, and all of us know that they just need one of them just needs to blink. Mm-hmm. I imagine the way this unravels is that Jed Hoyer crafts a deal that has like some MVP escalators and an opt-out and da-da-da-da-da and whatever, and the and he comes back to the Cubs. But um, with Bellinger, I think this team wins the division. I, Ooh, I truly nice. think it's that close. And I, I think that having him at first base, having him in center field, having that bat in the lineup would push this team over the top. And I'm really just not all that concerned about $14 million in 2032. You shouldn't be, especially when you are the Chicago Cubs. All right, everybody, we're going to wrap it up there. As always, Sarah, a pleasure chatting with you. Let everybody know where they can find you and plug all of your work. Yeah, so I just started a really fun project uh, with our friend Shelly Burstrate uh, over at Pitcher List. And we will have a Pitcher List podcast called Fantasy Feud. The first episode debuted at PitchCon. You can watch it on YouTube right now and you can hear it on the Pitcher List channel shortly. Um, but definitely follow that. I think it's going to be really fun. We're basically taking the tact of looking at deep debates in issues in fantasy baseball rather than covering all of the things. So for example, uh, when we cover the Tout Wars draft that Bubba and I do together, we're going to talk about like four or five things that happened that were pretty controversial. 
rather than covering the entire draft. We're going to bring on your favorite fantasy baseball peeps so that you can hear us argue with them and or you can argue with them yourself. Like just like all of the times you've wanted to like argue with someone's bold take. That's what Shelly and I are going to be doing this season. And we're pretty stoked about it. You can also find my work at Baseball HQ. I write the NL East Playing Time Tomorrow column there. And if you are a Cubs fan, please follow me at BleedCubbyBlue.com. It's one of the best Cubs fan sites on the internet, and that's where all of my Cubs work is. Yeah, if you're not following Sarah, you should be amazing human being, big-time Cubs fan, knows her stuff all around baseball. So go check her out on Twitter at BCB underscore Sarah. You'll not regret it. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Always the best. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, that was Bench with Bubba, episode 646, your 2024 Chicago Cubs team preview. Catch you all next time.